And so if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there, you guys, to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And um, this morning we we have a heavy study. We're going to cover verses 18 through 32. Now in looking at the book of Romans, it was kind of cool in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, if you go back there, you'll notice that we read the words, the gospel of God. It's mentioned there in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And then chapter 1, verse 1, verse 4, it says that we have uh, this Son of God, Jesus Christ, the gospel of God in verse 1, the Son of God in verse 4. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes to the beloved of God. And this is just great, great, great stuff. The gospel of God, the son of God, the beloved of God. And then over in verse 10 of the same chapter, Paul is praying for the will of God to go to Rome, to be with the people. In verse 16, we learn about the power of God. In verse 17, we see the righteousness of God. And that's an amazing thing. It's all about God. And all those truths in those verses right there are very comforting. God is so good and gracious to us. But now in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, notice what it says right there in verse 18. We, we come across these words, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Now, I know, you know, for a lot of us here, myself included, we probably wouldn't choose to teach on the wrath of God. We want to teach positive messages, you know, about the love of God, the Son of God, the gospel of God. But, you know, the cool thing about going through the Bible is that we don't get to choose what we teach. God does. And today, God wants to teach us about the wrath of God. We now embark into a new section within the book of Romans, which begins here in verse 18 and goes all the way over to chapter 3, verse 21. And, you know, you put it all together, it's an amazing thing what the Holy Spirit has done. And what we're going to see today as we begin this new section is that the whole world is guilty before God. The whole world is guilty. And we're going to see the evidence this morning. We're going to see today the pagan Gentiles and then next time the moral hypocrites and then Next time, the religious Jews. And then after that, the entire human race is guilty before God. You may say, well, why are we studying this? Well, because the world needs to know they're guilty before God. They need to know that they are in that condition. They're not only sick and dying, they're dead. They're guilty before God. So that in that state, they might come to Christ. In knowing that they're guilty, they might know that they need the miracle of the Messiah. You know, and for those of you here today, you're Christians, you know, it's so cool, man. The light went on one day and hopefully you were aware of your your desperate situation in which there was no hope, in which you were sick and dying and then dead. And that you were guilty before God because of the sins and the rebelliousness of our nature. And that in that condition, you cried out to Jesus Christ. You surrendered your life to him. You know, we're going to get into the good news of the gospel when we get to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But before we get there, we need to get here. We need to know first that we are guilty before a holy God. 
You see, the world needs to know they're guilty so that they might come to Christ. You know, John Stott said this, nothing keeps people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need of him or their unwillingness to admit it. No, for those of you here today, the people that you witness to out there, do you realize how much you need the Lord? Or are you going for your life in your own strength? Kind of like, well, you know what? I'll make ends meet. I'll go to work. I'll take care of business. I'll be all right. I'm a good person. No. You need the Lord. You need the Lord to be the Lord of your life. We need him to forgive us of our sins. Because if we try to stand before God one day on our own righteousness, we will perish. Why? Because we're guilty before God. You know, Paul here in the book of Romans, he lays out the truth that all are guilty before the Lord. And so what he does, and we're going to see this as we go through, is that he divides human race into several sections, and then he begins to accuse them one by one. He reminds them, first of all, of their knowledge of God, and then he confronts them with the fact that they've ignored that knowledge. They've suppressed that truth. They've even contradicted it by continuing to live a life of sin, and therefore, they are inexcusably guilty. You see, nobody in the world today can say, well, I didn't know, you know, that what was right or wrong. I kind of didn't know a whole lot about God, and therefore I just kind of did whatever I wanted to do. I'm sure I'll be okay. No, nobody can plead innocence because nobody can plead ignorance. And so the book of Romans, you know, I got to share with you guys, it's a very intimidating book to me I'm very, very careful in teaching this book. As a matter of fact, a lot of the material that I'm sharing with you today comes from a man that I deeply respect, a man named John Stott, who rightly divides the book of Romans. Because you can go through this chapter and you can miss the whole point. I know some teachers have. We don't want to do that. We want to go through it and we want to make sure that we get out of it what Paul wrote, what the Holy Spirit wants us to you see, we look at this and we're going to see as we go through our study that the guilt of man justly deserves the wrath of God. Again, verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed, it says, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And we're going to study this today. Now, the word wrath is kind of an interesting word. What do you guys think of when you think of the word wrath? I'll bet you the first thing that you think of is someone who flies off the handle. Maybe that was you this morning or something, man. Maybe that's been you in the path, and you're thinking, that's the way God is. Now he's upset, and the thunderbolts are going to come down. But it's kind of interesting. The Greek word for wrath speaks not of someone who's misdirected in their emotional outbursts. No, it's interesting. The Greek word speaks of a settled attitude of disapproval. God's wrath rises gradually and it's guided by reason. It's his natural reaction to sin. It's his deep hatred of evil. Again, it's not that God loses his temper and then he flies into a fit. It's simply his holy hostility to evil. That's what God's wrath is. Now, against what is God's wrath revealed? And again, we read there in verse 18, again, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. 
God's wrath is being revealed. We're going to see that as we go through this chapter right here. Against what? What's it coming against? It's coming against ungodliness, and it's coming against unrighteousness. Now, ungodliness are those sins uh, against God directly. Unrighteousness are those sins against man. Again, affecting God, but we see the directions in which they travel. God's wrath is directed against those who are engaged in ungodliness and engaged in unrighteousness. And so we read here, the root of it, it says in 18 verse B, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that's the reason they do what they do. They suppress the truth. And what does that mean? Well, it's not just that they do wrong. It's that they know better. They've made a deliberate decision to live for themselves and not for God and others. And therefore, they resist any truth or teaching that challenges their self-centeredness. And let me just kind of explain that, you know? I mean, in our, in our you know, layman terms, I mean, you guys, God made us. And God, uh, as our God, demands that we live for Him. Completely. Sold out, surrendered. I mean, just His. But there's this rebelliousness inside of us that says, no, I, I don't want to do really what God wants me to do. I want to do my own thing. I refuse to live for God. I refuse to be obedient to God. And you go, and many times, the people out there in this world, they just live their life. And at the same time, all along, it says right here, that they knew what was right, but they did wrong anyways. You see, the whole problem with our world is idolatry. They're worshiping another God, and sometimes it's an animal. We're going to see a a beast, four-footed creatures, bugs, I mean, you name it. But most of the time, the problem is that we worship ourselves. If you find yourself today and you're here, you're not really living for the Lord, here's an ugly thought. You are probably worshiping yourself. You are your own God. That's really what Paul is saying. You know, in this first class right here of people who are guilty before God, We see the pagans that are portrayed so perfectly. They suppress the truth. And what is the truth that they suppress? Well, we read there in verse 19. Notice it says, Because what may be known of God is evident or manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, sometimes, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, have ever been in traffic court. Probably not, huh? You guys have probably never been there, but every once in a while you end up there because you're fighting a ticket or whatever. And, you know, you go before the judge and you tell the judge, oh, I'm innocent. You're innocent. Well, you ran a step sign, stop sign. You're not innocent. The police officer saw you. He gave you a ticket. Yeah, but I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see it. It was there. It was evident, it was manifest, therefore, you are guilty. You know, and there are people today, unfortunately, you know, they, they just, they go, they live their life as if there's no God. But here, Paul, in writing to the Romans, he tells them, man, you know, you're suppressing this truth. The truth is, there is a God, and he's so easily seen. 
You guys, you just got to look up. You just got to look around and you will know that there is a God and there is an awesome God. I like what John Stye said. Just as artists reveal themselves in what they draw and paint and sculpt, so the divine artist has revealed himself in his creation. You know, the God who himself is invisible and unknowable becomes visible and knowable. How? By the things that are made. That's how. You see a painting on the wall? You know somebody painted that, right? You know. And this created world that we live in, the cosmos, they are a testimony. They are a, a painting that there is a God and He is an awesome God. You know, the Bible says that in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. I mean, you know, all we have to do, you guys, I mean... I know we get busy, and I know a lot of times we'd rather watch TV than go out there and look up at the sky, man, but I challenge you, stop, you know, go in the backyard, whatever, before you get into your car, look up, look up at the sky, I mean, maybe there'll be some poofy clouds, and you can see, wow, those things are amazing, or, or you'll see the beautiful blue sky, or or maybe you can even just check out the sun, or maybe it's the moon, they look kind of interesting sometimes, huh, and then... Maybe there's going to be a sparkly star in the black canvas of space, but you just look up and you know that God is real and that God is awesome and that we should be living our life for God. Paul is saying the problem with these people, the wrath of God is revealed. God's wrath is coming. Why? Because they know there's a God, but they're suppressing that truth. They're living ungodly lives, unrighteous lives, sinning against God and men, and it shouldn't be that way. Why? Because in, by nature, what ends up happening is we bow down to ourselves and we worship ourselves, rather than worshiping God, the one who made us. I mean, if you study astronomy or biology, I mean, you guys, if you ever break out a telescope or a microscope, huh? isn't it just amazing? You look at a single star or a single cell, and you realize how complex things are. And we know, the Bible says, man, we are without excuse. And so the question might be, well then, how is God's wrath revealed? How is this going to happen? You are telling me that the wrath of God is coming because we're guilty before him. Well, what does that mean? Well, a few things when we read the Bible. Number one, when we read the Bible, we realize that the wrath of God is future. It will be revealed in the future, at the end, in the judgment of the last day. In the Bible, there is such a thing as the coming wrath of God. And so most of us are probably familiar with that one, huh? The coming wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so, you know, we kind of know there's a wrath ahead. There's a judgment day ahead. There's that day of God's wrath. As a matter of fact, if you go over to Romans chapter 2, we read that in verse 5. It says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so when you think of wrath, think future. That's one of the things that you think of. As a matter of fact, when you read the book of Revelation... 
It's all about the wrath of God in many ways. And 13 times there in the book of Revelation, it mentions the wrath to come. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 6, some interesting verses in verses 15 through 17, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? The wrath of God is coming. You know, I was talking to my daughter about this. Somehow she saw my notes and she saw the wrath of God and she reminded me of that scene in uh, Fireproof where the guy drank that hot sauce. Do you guys remember that hot sauce? That was funny, man. And it was hot, and they called it the wrath of God. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that's funny, you know. But that's not the wrath of God. And some of you, maybe you've been around some people, and they've gotten pretty violent. Maybe your father was pretty violent. And, you know, your mom said, hey, you better be cool, or a dad's going to come. He's going to get you. The wrath of dad, you know, and... Pretty crazy stuff. The wrath of the Assyrians, the wrath of the Babylonians, the wrath of the terrorists, the wrath of man is nothing compared to the wrath of God. And everyone is guilty. And the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's coming in the future. That's one element of the wrath of God. Another element of the wrath of God is real interesting. Over in the book of Romans chapter 13, uh, it's kind of interesting. Here in verse 1, Romans 13, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. This is the police officers These are the lawmakers. These are the judges. These are the jails. These are the sentences of men between men. It says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. This is what it says, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so it's kind of interesting. According to the Bible, God's wrath is future. It's coming. God's wrath actually exists within the governing authorities today. And so you got guys being put to death. Why? Because they committed that crime. They committed murder. You've got guys that are life in jail, different things. It's the wrath of God. God's minister for that. But the third way of God's wrath and the wrath that we'll study today, it might surprise you. You know, I know it did me. You know, I've kind of heard this before, but it wasn't really clear in my heart. And when I read the third element of the wrath of God, yesterday when I was studying, I just began to weep and to weep because the wrath of God is a place that we live in today. Did you know that? The third element of the wrath of God is when God gives them up. 
And we'll read that three times here in the book of Romans. Here in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says right here, it says, therefore God also gave them up. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, it says, for this reason God gave them up. In verse 28 of this same chapter, it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. You know, when we hear of God's wrath, we usually think of thunderbolts from heaven and, you know, earthly catastrophes, earthquakes, fire, brimstone, things like that. But the truth is, and we see it here in the book of Romans so clearly, is that his wrath can come quietly and invisibly. And what he does is he hands sinners over to themselves. And that's what God has done in our country. You know, one man put it this way, John Zeisler. He said, it operates not by God's intervention, but precisely by his not intervening, by letting men and women go their own way. There might be some of you here today who you really haven't been living for God. And let me tell you something, man. If you don't want God in your life, then he'll honor that decision. But understand, in making that decision to go your own way, to live your life apart from God, you are calling down the wrath of God upon your own life. Because when God lets go of your life, you will naturally digress and you will self-destruct. And that's what God has done to our country. There's a remnant here, don't get me wrong. But when we read the list of things we're going to see today, it just breaks my heart to think that we are under the wrath of God. It's evident. Why? Because we're living our life. We're doing these things. And God has given us up. God has let go. You want to leave? Okay. God says, I'm a perfect gentleman. I'm a just judge. I won't force myself upon you. You want to go? You can But I'm telling you right now, you're wasting and ruining your life. You know, when I read this yesterday, I wept because I saw the things that happened and I realized that this is a description of our country. Verse 21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, we read right here in verse 21 that they knew God. doesn't mean they knew everything about God, but they knew enough. They knew enough to be grateful to God. I mean, he's the one that gives us the breath that we breathe. And he's the one who Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 17, he rains down water to make the crops to grow. He's the one that has given us these good things in life. We know enough to be grateful to God. We know enough 
They all know enough to give glory to God, but they suppress that truth. We know that people know this, but they do neither. And so what ends up happening, you guys? Well, they get just digress. I mean, their thinking becomes futile. Their hearts, think about it, become dark. And eventually they reach the point professing to be wise. They become fools. You know, some of these smart guys out there, the guys that are professors in colleges, the guys that are on television, you hear them with their opinions. For some reason, they think that Christians are not wise and not intelligent. Why? Because we believe in God, a maker, an artist, one that we bow our knees to. They don't. They think we're here by random chance, an accident. And what ends up happening? Well, idolatry. It naturally digresses to immorality. It says right here that they exchanged. Think about this. They made an exchange. I'm going to exchange the incorruptible God for a corruptible man. That's what they did. They made that exchange. They, they made another exchange. It says right here that they exchanged the truth for the lie. That's the type of exchange that's going on. Now, what lie did they exchange that for? Again, there in verse 23, it says that they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. It says there in verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What's the lie? What's the lie that the world has exchanged the truth for? You want to know what the lie is? It's a lie of idolatry. And we come back to that. It really is. It's the transfer of our worship to created things from the creator of all things. When we foolishly and selfishly serve ourselves rather than serving God and serving others. See, that's the way it works. That's the truth that they've exchanged. And let me tell you something, man. Whenever you worship anything other than God, anything other than God, that idolatry inevitably leads to immorality, especially sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. It's crazy, the sexual immorality that's out there, that's in the church. It's crazy. Why? Because sexual immorality is the ultimate of the gratification of self. And when you engage in that conduct, you are worshiping yourself. Rather than worshiping God. We read that even here in verse 26. It says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Verse 24 reveals that God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their heart. But then we read here in verse 26 that God gave them up to vile passions. The NIV says shameful lusts. The NLT says shameful desires. And when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to lesbianism, let's be very clear on the language of the Lord that he calls it shameful vile lusts and desires. You know, it's amazing how foolish this is when you think about this whole thing. I mean, 
Man, we're getting ripped off, huh? The world is getting ripped off. Exchanging the incorruptible God for corruptible man, exchanging the truth for the lie, and exchanging the natural for the unnatural. But that's the digression of our society. I mean, women, you guys, we know were made to be with men. And men were made to be with women. I know it's not a very popular opinion nowadays in the perspective and the world that we live in, but I think we need to know, uh, just in case you don't know, that popular opinion does not dictate truth, right? I mean, we need to know that. It's so amazing how people have fallen prey to the lie. They say it's natural. The homosexual says it's natural to me. Well, it's obviously not. I can see it. I can try to explain it to you. We can go down a whole long road of logic to show you how unnatural that is in spite of your feelings, but all that is actually irrelevant. The only question is, what does God say about this whole thing? And we know that in Leviticus chapter 20, Verse 13, he said, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And that's the big thing right there. Don't be deceived. Yeah, but I saw this show. It was Barbara Walters, man, 2020. And you know this whole thing about this little boy who thought he was a girl. And so it's got to be true. Is that where you get your truth? Is your truth based on feelings and experience? Oh, God help us. Truth is based on the word of God, on the revelation of what God has said. And God says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites will inherit the kingdom of God. They won't. You see, to God, homosexuality is an abomination and yet in our nation and all around the world right now, we see their right to sin is seen as good. And our fight for what's right is seen as evil, huh? That's where we're at now. But here we see that the rise in this particular sin really is a revelation to us, you guys, that we are experiencing the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And unless we repent, you know... I just want to encourage you guys to know and be ready, man. It's going to get worse. It wasn't like this 10 years ago. It wasn't like this 20 years ago. Why? Because God's word is true. Things are rotting and decaying. Homosexuality will soon be classified as a civil right. And therefore, churches will be forced to hire homosexuals and pastors will be forced to perform marriages of same-sex couples. Teachers, speakers from the pulpit or in any arena will no longer be allowed to speak out against this specific sin. And there will be a great temptation to compromise. And the thing is, I think a lot of Christians already are. Many Christians are compromising, even our president who claims to be a Christian. And, you know, I don't know if he is, but he says he is. And if he is, he's a great compromiser. We know as we look at his agenda that President Obama has a gay agenda. 
You know, I was reading this article just yesterday. It wasn't from some Christian website. It was from the USA Today. You know, President Bush, he start, this thing was called faith-based initiatives in which he said if there's any of these churches, religious you know, organizations that can do anything to help the community, I'll tell you what, we'll give them a little bit of money and we'll help them out, right? Obama said, okay, I'm, I'm there, I'm with it, I'm going to go with that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take it a little, a little farther and you know, fund these religious organizations as well with a tweak, as he calls it. Remember, that's what he said during the whole you know, thing. I'm going to yeah, take it, look at it, I'm going to tweak it. Well, he tweaked this, that's what he did. The USA said that, not me, okay? The USA Today said that. This is what they said. They said Obama said during the campaign that he wanted to expand White House faith-based efforts begun under former President George Bush. But while he endorsed Bush's initiative to give religious groups more equal footing when getting federal funding, he also promised to tweak it. And you want to know what he did? This is what he said. That if they, however, as a religious organization, violate the law of hiring people or not hiring homosexuals based on their, on their sexual orientation, then I will cut off funding. In other words, he supports laws that force us as Christians to hire homosexuals and he will not fund a religious organization who believes that this practice is wrong in God's eyes. Among many other things that he's done already. And yet, 68% of America approves of this president. Many, many Christians do. You know, and I've shared with you guys before, we have a responsibility to pray for him. But I have a strange feeling that people were more concerned with other issues. You know, and I want the war to end. True, I want the war to end. There's probably, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many thousands of young men and women have given their life in that war. But how many abortions are now being funded, now are being funded, because this president signed an initiative to fund them across the world. Christians are compromising. And they're compromising in this whole area of sexual agendas and homosexuality, you know? I mean, I don't want the funding from the president, don't get me wrong, but the bottom line is, you know, everybody's looking to him as the savior and is actually a manifestation of the wrath of God. Now, some say, oh, well, I'm born that way as a homosexual. And again, we can go down many roads of logic there to disprove that fact. But you know what? The bottom line is, it's not what my inclination of my body tells me. That's not what, you know, makes right and wrong. I mean, is it your body that tells you what's right and wrong? Or is it your Bible? What if I told you, or I don't even want to say this, what if someone told you, hey, my body tells me that I like young boys. I really do. I like young boys. My body tells me that. Is that okay? Because it's the inclination of my body? Well, what if my body tells me I want multiple women for sexual activity, which my body does tell me? Does that make it okay? No. It's not the inclinations of our bodies. It's the revelation of the Bible. And God says in his word that it is sin. It's black and white. You know, be careful that you don't determine your truths based on subjective knowledge, experience, and feelings. 
but you make sure that you base your opinions on objective truth, which is the Bible. And you know, I got to be careful. I need to close by saying, you know what? There's a couple of things in this uh, I want to share with you. Make sure that you love these people. Whatever you do, do not despise them. Do not look down on them. Love them. Love everyone. But at the same time, don't buy the lie of popular opinion today, which is truth based on feelings or experience instead of truth based on the scriptures. I mean, I know we're living in a crazy age and it's going to get worse and worse. And the bottom line is, in reading the book of Romans, I realize that it's the revelation of God that he has let go. He has judged us. His wrath is working. He's honored our overall decision to live life without him. But the natural digression is this. Indifference leads to idolatry, leads to immorality, and then leads to greater indulgences. And that's the path that we see here in Romans chapter 1. And Paul closes today by listing 22 more specific sins that prove the pagans are guilty before God. Look what he says here in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, and here it is again, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And you read that list right there, and you know, we don't have time to get into every one, but man, it sounds pretty familiar, huh? The world that we live in today. And what we see is that it is a manifestation of the judgment of God. I mean, we see here in verse 32, they know deep down inside, they know it's wrong. And, you know, every culture has an innate knowledge of what's right and wrong. And every culture knows that if I do wrong, I deserve to be punished. That's just global. But not only do they continue to do those things, but they approve of those who practice them as well. And that's the thing that we find ourselves in today. They disregard their knowledge. They ignore and suppress those convictions. They continue to do those things which deserve death, and they actively encourage others to do the same. And so where are we at, you guys? Well, we go back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You see, the world is guilty. You know, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, if you can visualize yourself, you're standing in court, and your whole life is brought before the judge, and the judge says this, you're guilty. You deserve to die. So now what? Now what happens? 
Oh, we know this. For those of you here today who are Christians, we were there at one time. We were in that court, huh? And we were handed down that conviction. And what happened? Well, the Bible says over in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that we were children of wrath, that we were by nature children of wrath. But God, but God, but God entered in and God gave us an opportunity to be innocent, to be forgiven, to be free. He gave us that opportunity to rise from dead to life. And that's what the Lord wants to do in our hearts today. You know, I think for Christians here, there's a lot of things that we can apply to our life. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you haven't been living for the Lord, you know, please don't take it personal. You know, I'm not trying to talk mean or bad or anything to you. I love you. I really do because God put that love inside of me. But apart from Jesus Christ, you are guilty. But he wants to give you grace. He wants to wash away your sins. He wants to give you new life. But you've got to let him. He won't force himself upon you. He will honor your decision. Today I want to warn you to flee from the wrath to come and to run to Jesus. Just run to Jesus today. Don't be like this man, Kenneth Clark. Um, I guess he was internationally known for his television series called The Civilization. And he lived and then he died without faith in Jesus Christ. He admitted in his autobiography, though, that one time when he went to church, he felt a tug of God at his heart. He had an overwhelming religious experience, he said, and my whole being was just irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far intense, more than anything I've ever known before. But, he said, it, it created a problem. And here was the problem. That if he gave his life to Christ, he knew that he would have to change. And rather than changing, he died in his sins. Whatever you do, man, don't be like this man who was embedded in the world. You know, you might be here today embedded in the world, embedded in evil, but I'm here to tell you, man, that Jesus Christ can set you free, that Jesus Christ loves you, that Jesus Christ died for you, that Jesus Christ brought you here today, that Jesus Christ is knocking at the door of your heart. And he's just saying, will you let me in? If you open that door, the Bible says, and he will come in. And he will sup with you and you with him. For those of us as Christians, we made that decision. God gave us that grace and we find ourselves in fellowship with the Lord. And for you who are Christians, this is closed by this. You know, we see this road of digression. And remember, in looking at this thing, how did it all start? Well, it started with them suppressing the truth. They knew about God. And so you're here today as a Christian. Whatever you do, man, not even an idle. Don't even let a little bit of your life be indifferent towards God. Because that suppression of the truth, that indifference then leads to immorality, which then leads to idolatry, which then leads to indulgences. And you find yourself in such an awful place. Even as a Christian, that can happen. 
And so let's make sure that we do not ignore God in any way, man. Let's live our life for Him. But if you're today and you're here today and you're not a Christian, then our, our hearts go out to you. Uh, together as a congregation, we pray that you would give your life to Christ. Um, we love you. He loves you. He wants to save you, man. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your grace. And it's kind of a tough thing, Father, going through the guilt. The guilt, Lord God, of this world. The guilt even sometimes in my own life. But I thank you so much for the grace of your son, Lord, who just died for us and um, has set me free, has washed my sins away. I thank you for the good news, Lord God, that as we yield our life to you, Lord, that you do uh, make us as white as snow. And I pray for the Christians that are here today, Lord, that you bless them. You'd encourage them in their personal relationship with you, Father. That you would just continue, Lord God, to work in them and to work through them. You bless. You bless your church. But Lord, I also pray for those today who might not be Christians here today. And Lord, um, only you can catch fish. Only you can save souls. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would and if anyone is here today if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian just know you're not please understand that God is here God loves you and God wants to change that today it's so simple it's so simple you just got to know that you need him that you're guilty and you got to be willing to turn from sin and turn to God if you want to do that today, if there's anyone here today who would like to do that, right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. The most important decision uh, you'll ever make in your life. Maybe you were a Christian and you s slipped away and now you want to come back to the Lord. Right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. You feel your heart beating. There's a battle going on. Don't let the devil win, man. Right where you're at. Make that decision. Make that public stand to serve Jesus Christ. You just raise your hand, man. I'm going to pray for you. I know there are some here, man. And God is just calling your name. He's willing to meet you here. He's willing to change everything. This is really what it's all about. Anyone here? Okay, let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord, for Lord your people that are here and those that came, Lord, that uh, they're not your people yet, Lord. I, I, I cringe to think at the thought that they might have to go through even more difficult times, Lord. But Father, ultimately, Lord, whatever it takes, our prayer today is that whatever it takes, just have mercy on them. Bring us all to our knees, Lord, today. We love you so much. We thank you so much for teaching us your word, Lord, today. And I pray that we would go out with great conviction, Lord, to help the world, to help them. Eventually, I know Paul is going to say they need preachers. They need people to go out and to be sent. They need people with beautiful feet to tell the guilty how much they need God's love. So, Lord, be with us this week. 
Help us to do that as a church faithfully, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we pray together today. In Jesus' name, amen.